Welcome to Parker's Podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. This week's guest speaker is Reverend Kevin Anderson. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine talked me into downloading a calorie counting app. How many of you have a calorie? You don't have to. I'm not going to even ask that. All right. It's a calorie counting app. And uh, apparently we were pretty good friends because he was able to share his concerns about me. And so one day we were downloading this app and he's like, look, I'll be your accountability partner. Yay. Uh, I'll be there for you every step of the way. We're going to get through this. And so uh, I downloaded this app and um, he said, look, I'm going to allow you to have 1800 calories a day. And not knowing a lot of, about calories, I'm like, I don't even eat that every day, I don't think so. No problem, no problem. And so he said, now it's going to be like cash, Kevin. Once you spend your calorie cash for the day, you can't eat anymore. That's it, all right? And this is going to show you what you're taking in and what has the most calories and what, what you need to refrain from. And he said, if you do this, you're going to be a little healthier and you'll probably drop a few pounds. So I agree to this. I forget all about it, but the next day it starts. And so I'm in my office about 930. This little bell goes off on my phone and I look at it and it says, click here to log into your food diary, my food diary. I have a diary now. I'm keeping a diary. So I know diaries are for reflection. You know, you can think about what you've enjoyed in life and your goals and your dreams and so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'll reflect on my breakfast this morning. It was just incredible. So the donuts were bliss. I had nothing quite like this. That's the poem I was going to type, but it didn't care anything about that. It's get to it. What did you eat? So I, I typed in what I'd gotten from Jack's that morning. I got this. I got that. Oh, yeah, that was delicious. I got that. And then I got a little discouraged because I only had 900 calories left for the day. And I still had a few meals to go. I was like, I had six more meals for the rest of the day. And so this will be the day that I die, apparently. But I, I call him up and I'm like, I think you got me on the wrong plan. Uh, can, can, you know, he's like, well, what's the matter? I go, well, it's 930 and I've only got 900 calories left. I've got my 10 o'clock snack coming. I've got my 1130 lunch. My three o'clock snacks on the way. I'm eating dinner with my family at six. I'm not going to make it. He's like, Kevin, that's part of it. That's just part of it. It's accountability. So I, I'm challenging you to stick with that. Can I borrow a few calories from tomorrow? Can't do that. You got to stick with it. 1800 calories. And so I, I agree to this. And so for a few weeks, I'm busy. I'm, I'm, I'm typing all this stuff in and it kind of becomes a game to me where I want to beat the 1800, you know, I'm able to see what I'm taking in, which wasn't all that great, apparently. And so a few weeks later, he called me usually two or three times a week just to check on me. Have you, how you doing? Have you weighed today? And so one Monday he called and I said, man, I've lost seven pounds. He said, Kevin, I'm really proud of you. That's awesome. I'm like, yeah, and I thought about celebrating with a few donuts on the way to work this morning. And here comes that accountable partner guilt trip. Well, if that's how you want to spend your calorie cash, go right ahead. But you know, those donuts are like 500 apiece, the ones that I get are anyway. So if that's how you want to spend and blow your calorie cash, go right ahead. So I didn't do it. I gave in. Okay, whatever. And so another month and a half goes by and I weigh and I've lost almost 11 pounds and I'm excited about this. And so I said, today's the day I'm going to reward myself because this has been tough. This has been hard. And so, you know, nobody has to know about it. 
I don't need to, it's just between me and the Lord, you know, nobody needs to know. So I'm pulling into Jack's right into that little fast way line, you know, the drive through. And about the time I roll my window down, my phone rings and it's him. <laughs> How does he know that I'm here? This is nuts. And so about the time the lady welcomes me with such an angelic voice over the speaker, welcome to Jack's. What can I get for you? And I had it all planned out of what I was going to order. But he's continuing to call. And I, you know, I don't want to lie just in case he's watching me with a pair of binoculars somewhere. He knows that I'm here. So I, I can't exactly, you know, so I make the mistake of answering the phone. There's a rule for you. Never answer the phone in the drive-thru. You don't know who this is. So I answer the phone, but I get really smart about it. I go, hang on. So I put it down over in the seat so he cannot hear this beautiful conversation I'm about to have with the Jack's lady. All right. May I take your order? Yes, you can. Number four, and Diet Coke. Why? Because I care. All right. Diet Coke. And so I, she's like, here's the total. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put, pass on by the speaker box. And I'm like, I'll pick my phone back up. Like nothing happened. Hey, bro, what's going on? What's going on? And the next thing he said to me was absolutely rude. Get out of the line, Kevin. Get out of the line. What line? What line? You're at Jack's. I heard you order. I know where you are. Get out of the line. But I've already ordered. I I can't jump the line. Nobody likes those people. Get out of the line, Kevin. You've done so well. I know. I've lost 11 pounds and I'm taking a victory lap through Jack's. Thank you very much. Get out of the line. I know what I need to do over here, but this is so tasty. I know what he's saying. I understand. This is the right thing to do. I get that. But, you know. So there I was, stuck in the middle. Have you ever been stuck in the middle? Let me give you a couple of scenarios here. Don't say amen to any of these. Over here, you know... You should be on time at work. You know you should put all you got into it. They've given you a computer. It's not for Facebook. But you know you should do what's right. But there's a little temptation over here. Oh, here's another one. You know you need to be at home spending more quality time with your family. But the buddies are calling. And here's the one I really want to focus on today. You've given your life to Christ. He's saved you. He's redeemed you to be a part of this gathering. But there's a few other things a little more important. Will you open your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2? We're going to look at a baby picture. How many of you like baby pictures? And the baby photo I want to look at is the birth of the church. Now, just a little crash course in case you have forgotten. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's the same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke. And if you look at the gospel of Luke, you can see that he tries, he starts to write about what Jesus began to teach and what he began to do to the crucifixion, to the resurrection, to the ascension. And if you look in the first chapter of the book of Acts, he kind of continues on with what Jesus did, what he taught directly and through his Holy Spirit. And in the very, I'll just summarize some of it for you. In the very first chapter of the book of Acts, 
Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. His work here on earth is finished as far as him being here in the flesh goes. Now, he continues that on through his Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we've got the crux of the entire book that says he's talking to his disciples and he's giving them one of the greatest farewells ever because it's it's one of those that you write in your yearbook, be there for you always, even though you're going off to college. And, well, when he says that, I, I'm going to be there with you always, he really means that. Because he's telling his disciples, I'm going to empower you. My spirit is going to fall on you. And he gives them some specific directions to go to Jerusalem and wait there for Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So we know that Jesus has risen from the grave and he's been on the earth for 40 days with his disciples and uh, several hundred people have seen him so they can testify. They've witnessed him uh, being alive. And so he's, he's telling his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for Pentecost. And so they don't know exactly what all he is wanting them to do. Something about power, and you can tell by some of the questions that they have in the first chapter of Acts, that they're not quite certain, but they obey him. See, obeying the Lord always puts us in the right position for the right time. And so they're, they're in Jerusalem, they're waiting. And what's interesting about this to me is the Lord knew that when Pentecost comes, there'll be a lot of people, Jewish pilgrims coming from Rome and all over the area, all over the region to celebrate the harvest, which is what Pentecost is. And so I, I find that so interesting. God's timing is always perfect. Always remember that in your situation. Sometimes we get ahead of God, right? So about 10 days later, what Jesus told them was going to happen actually happens. And so they are there in Jerusalem waiting like the Lord told them to do. And all these pilgrims are coming in crowds. It's kind of like their Thanksgiving, you might say. The school's let out. The shops are closed. Nobody's working. Everybody's partying. They all come to celebrate harvest. It's a big deal. And so the disciples are kind of standing there. They're kind of waiting on this thing to happen. And all of a sudden, Luke, Luke sort of describes it like a wind, like a violent wind. It comes through. And on these disciples sits what looks like little balls of fire, great balls of fire sitting on them. And all of a sudden, they start to talk about the mighty things that God has done. And what's interesting here is that they're speaking in languages they've never even studied. But these people from all over the region are understanding what they're saying. And they even make a few comments. Aren't these Galileans? How is it that they know our language? They're speaking. And a couple of them, there are a couple of hecklers in the crowd because they accuse them of of having some cheap wine. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up. And this is the same Peter, you remember, that denied Christ three times. You know, he kind of went from being this guy that was ashamed of himself to hiding out. And then he had an encounter with a resurrected Christ. And that's what changes everything. When he comes off of that page in your life, he's no longer just a song, a name in a song or in a book that you read, but he becomes the resurrected Christ to you. I'm telling you, nothing is impossible and God can use you. And so Peter begins, the Holy Spirit comes over him, and he begins to preach this amazing sermon right here in the streets. And I encourage you to read that. We're going to pick up with verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. But if you haven't read, read that, read that. Because the people in the audience, in the crowd that day are questioning what's happening. And Peter is preaching to them, and he's saying, look, some of you 
you're, you're, he's talking to some of the Jew, Jews from Rome. You crucified Jesus, but he rose from the grave. And he is Lord of all. He is Lord. He is the supreme sacrifice of all. And so he's preaching this to them. And the Holy Spirit moves in such a way. And in verse 41, where we're going to pick up, you can see they have an amazing altar call. Look at verse 41. So then those who had received his word, talking about Peter's word, were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Stop right there. What is the apostles' teaching? They're not teaching uh, Judaism uh, reborn. They're teaching this new covenant. They're teaching Jesus is Lord of all. So they're continuing on. It's not something they're making up. It's very important. They're following with the gospel. Look at this. To the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Let's call it what it is. They were eating out together. And to prayer. Verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one another in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness in sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Look at the result of the Holy Spirit's presence. He's empowered these guys. These guys who have been somewhat cowards hiding out. Now they're standing in the street proclaiming the good news of Christ. And what an impact it had on these people. About 3,000 souls come to faith in Christ and they're baptized. And they are born into the family of God. Like many of us in this room are. That's not just a song that we sing. That's an actual thing that takes place when someone comes to Christ. You're born in the family of God. You're bound by the blood of Jesus. Folks, this is the beginning of the church. This is where it all starts. And look what they had in common. They devoted themselves to the cause of Christ. As long as Christ is the center of what we're doing, Parker Memorial, we're going to be successful because we're going to be reaching the lost. We're going to be sharing what they don't have, giving them life. But let's take a close look at the image of this church. This is the baby photo I was talking about. Let's look what they did together. They shared together. They studied together. I think that's a powerful thing. Coming to the worship service each week is great, but there's nothing like getting alone in these Sunday school classes, in our small groups, where we can open the word up and look into it and ask questions and talk about it and apply it to our lives. You realize everything in this word is relevant to your life today. They studied the word together. What else did they do? My favorite thing, they ate together. And they ate a lot together. They were on like a food tour. They went around from house to house. You know, that's a little ministry that you could have in this church. It really is, if you think about it. We have gotten to know several people by just going out for a burger or for a pizza. You know, get out of, outside of these walls. And I encourage, especially this congregation, this particular audience, to reach out to those who don't come to this service. 
Because there's a big family here at Parker. And my wife and I have made kind of a commitment to each other to look through our, our congregation and find at least two, maybe two families or two people that we don't know all that well and invite them over. Go out to, uh, to Taco Bell or something together. It's amazing how walls can come down. And that's what the church is teaching us. Study together. Fellowship together. And look what came next. They begin to pray together. And I don't think these were sort of unspoken prayers. I think these, these kind of prayers were getting to the meat of what's happening in our lives. When we study together, when we fellowship together, we build relationships together, and then we can be real with one another. I think that's what we, we're, we're needing in our church today. Be real with one another. And look, it says they were amazed at what God was doing, and they were amazed together. You know what they were doing? They were sharing in life together. The blood of Jesus brought them together, and they began to see each other as important. You matter. I don't care what somebody's told you, maybe a parent, somebody. You know, it's funny how we remember certain things from our childhood. And maybe someone's told you or made you feel like you do not matter. I'll tell you, you do matter. And the Lord proved that. Jesus proved that with his blood. But this church, the picture of this church is this. They remain together through life's wins and losses, through joys and sorrows. They did life together. If you think about the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, while we don't really know who he is, we know that he's talking to some people who, who used to follow Judaism. They were Jews who have come to Christ and probably some Gentiles mixed in there as well. And in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, you can read it later if you want to, verse 24, he begins to encourage these new, new Christians, don't go back to your old ways. In fact, he says, hold fast to the profession, to the confession of your hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And he says in verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another. Another Greek word there is refresh one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more while you see the day drawing near. How many of you have ever been encouraged by somebody in this body of believers? Can I just be real with y'all this morning? Is it okay if I'm just open and honest about something? My wife and I and my family, we've been here a little over eight years. But I'm just going to be honest with y'all. The first year I was here, about the first year and a half, I was a broken guy. I, we, we'd been through some things as a family. Uh, my dream job that I went to college and studied for, I'd been in it for nine years. I was working for a, a, a family-owned business, and I'd been promoted a few times. I, I was enjoying that job. That's what I always wanted to do, and they talked about me uh, you know, having more responsibility and taking over in some areas uh, of the company. There were 15 employees there. When Katrina, Hurricane Katrina hit, most of you remember the economy pretty much tanked. And that company took a nosedive. And of the 15 employees, eight of us were released, and I was the last one. They kept family members, the, the six family members, and then one in-law. That's all they kept. I was crushed. I was broken about that. And I was leading worship part-time on, on the side at another church. That church got rocked by a pretty big scandal, and that church is not even on the map today. It was so bad. And I was broken, and I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that where you're just disappointed. And so I, I sent out over a hundred resumes for six months. I'm out of work 
that's a lot for a fella, you know. My wife's teaching school in Cave Spring. We've got two little kids. And I began to be a little upset with the Lord. You ever been there before? Just a little upset with God. And I began to hold back my tithe. I began to, to, to just retract and revert back to some of my, my thinking. But nobody was calling me for a job except one place. And it was this church. I didn't even apply for this church. Only connection I had with this church was Jock Burgess. He and I were buddies in college and we had a few worship bands that we played in together. And when this church decided to have this service, he contacted me. And initially I said, you know what? That would involve me moving. And I just, I just don't think so. But God shut every door that I, I've been banging on and tried to get into a few windows. He closed it all. There was nothing for me. And so I, I met with Brother Mac, and here's the thing, and he laughs about this now. I didn't, want, I didn't want to move. I didn't want what God was giving to me. So you know what? I came to my interview in jeans and a shirt that was untucked. I don't even know if it was washed. That's where I was in my place. I was so disappointed with God. I'm like, you might want this, but I don't. You ever been there? And so I realized I'm getting desperate here, so I agree to it. It's part-time. Four days a week, I'm going to drive over an hour and 20 minute drive one way from Rockmart, Georgia, all the way over here. So I do that for a year and two months. And there were some days I stood behind this keyboard leading songs and my heart was a million miles away. You know, sometimes we get good at playing the game, don't we? But you know what the Lord did? He began to put me on the heart of some people in this church who didn't know anything about that. And some of you are in this room today. You reached out to me. You didn't know why. Let me take you to lunch, Kevin. Let me, let me do this for you. And you know what? Over a little while, you know what happened? I began to be refreshed. I began to be encouraged. And that's what the church does. That's what the church was doing even here. I got to share an accountability. You know, I felt safe like I could open up uh, griefs and struggles and loss. Folks, that's what the church is all about. We do life together. You know why? Because we all take our turn. Sometimes you're the guest at the funeral, and sometimes you sit in the reserve section. We all take our turn. And that's what the early church is trying to teach us. Look what else they did. They were givers. It says they shared. They sold property. There's an old song from a band called 38 Special. And they had a song that said, hold on loosely, but don't let go. If you cling too tightly, You're going to lose control. And I think that's a great little line to put in here. When Jesus is the treasure of your heart, the things of this world do grow strangely dim. You don't really have to hang on to those things. That's what they're doing. Not only are they givers of possessions, but they made time for each other. That's the picture of the church. And I love this. It said they were glad and they were sincere and they praised God together. I don't think we celebrate enough when someone comes to Christ in this church. I really don't. I know football's coming and I enjoy that. And I'll maybe chest bump. I don't look. I'll fist bump when a touchdown happens. I'll I'll high five you. But folks, when someone comes to Christ, there is no greater victory. And I think we need to have maybe a five day feast when someone comes to Christ. We need to celebrate. That's what they did. And look at this last part. They were respected by all people. How in the world is a church in the day we live in with the way that the church is mocked and made fun of? How are we respected by all people? I believe there's only one way. and I believe the Lord teaches us right here. It's to genuinely love people. 
What is it that people are hungry for? What is it that people are looking for? And if they can't find it, they take matters into their own hands. It's to love people, to genuinely love people. And the early church did that. And you know what? They built relationships. And the church became a safe place. That's what we need to have is where we build relationships and people feel like they can open up like I did with those people way back six years ago. I felt like I could tell you what was going on. There's nothing worse than your own prison. Feel like you can't, you can't share with anybody. You're going to be judged. This is the picture of the church, but there's one major problem with it. There's a real enemy. The devil hates it. And I talked about being stuck in the middle a minute ago. You know, when you're totally committed, you give your life to Christ and you say, God, I, I want to serve you. I'm going to be a part. God leads you to this gathering. And by, by the way, you're here for a reason. Don't ever think you're just here by accident. You're at Parker Memorial for such a time as this for a reason. And so when you commit to the Lord in your relationship to him and to the purpose he has for you, the devil will come at you and he will do whatever he can to distract, to discourage you, to where you're half committed until eventually you are completely out the door. He will lie to you. He will tell you the people at this church, they wouldn't understand your problem if you told them. He'll tell you they wouldn't miss you if you weren't there. They don't love you. They don't care about you. And the devil will beat you with those lies long enough until you walk away from the fold. A few months ago, Jamie and I took the kids to the Birmingham Zoo. And uh, the zebra has always been my favorite animal. I think the zebra is just the coolest thing. If you grew up in the 80s, you know the zebra print was rather important. Especially if your parents would let you have parachute pants. How many of you know what parachute pants were? Oh, come on. I know you had them, Greg White. But I wasn't allowed to have, have these. But the zebra, I think they're the coolest with those stripes. And one day we were at the zoo with the kids. And we were standing there looking at the little exhibit they had. And they have three zebras in this little area. And this guy, he's probably in his early 20s, I'd say. He's got two girls with him. And he's kind of trying to impress them with his knowledge. And I don't believe he's a believer based on the things he said. He said, well, it looks like the so-called creator kind of messed up. When it came to the zebra's camouflage. I mean, you see those stripes out in the middle of a, of a wooded area or out in the, the open. A lion will have no problem picking one of those guys out. Well, my wife heard that. And she's got some book learning. So, so she, she said this to me and to the kids, but where he could hear it. Well, you know, the creator designed those zebras with that pattern. Because when they're all together, they're strong. And when they're all together, that pattern becomes confusing to the lions and to the tigers and to the bears. Oh, my. <laughs> and I went home and I, you know, I, at the moment she said that, I felt like a tennis judge. Point Jamie. <laughs> Loser, go home. He heard that and uh, he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, come on, let's go to the snakes. Let's get out of here, you know, so. And I would think he was afraid we were going to follow him, but we didn't. But I went home and I Googled it. And then I said, hey, that was right. You're absolutely right. It's true. Scientists believe that that, that striped pattern, it, it, it keeps predators at bay because when they're all together, it does confuse. Folks, that's a great picture of the church. See, when those zebras are together, but one begins to get weak and he backs away from the fold, what happens? He becomes prey to the enemy. Folks, that's the church. When we're not totally committed, when we're not in this, we're half committed. You might see me sometimes. I'll throw my tithe every now and then. I might be here for something, but I don't have my family. I don't have my children in the children's ministry. I don't have my youth in the youth ministry. But you might see me every now and then when they offer food. Folks, that's being half committed. 
we become weak. When we're not hearing the truth every week in small groups, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it. When we're not fellowshipping together. When we're not praying together and opening up. And we begin to isolate ourselves. And the devil's all about isolation. He wants you to feel so isolated that this gathering feels so awkward. Ain't that what's happening today with technology? People had rather discuss something with you over text. You just, you just saw them. And they had nothing to say to you then. He wants it to feel awkward to gather. That's what the enemy's doing. So you say, Kevin, does it really matter if I'm half in? I'm half committed. Does it really matter? Well, let me tell you this. What the word of God teaches us, it does matter. Because God created the church. And this is a picture of it. And his son bled and died for it. That's how much it matters. Kevin, does it really matter? Well, let me tell you this. When you are half committed, you're half committed to something, you're cheating yourself, you're cheating other people, and you cheat your family. Jamie and I have been working with the youth for about a year now. We love it. We love the youth ministry. But I'll tell you this. I read into a fella six months, right, right around Christmas time. And he, his family used to come to Parker. I'd only met him a couple of times. So it wasn't associated with Parker. But he said, I heard you're doing the youth ministry now. I go, yeah, yeah. He opened up and shared with me a big regret that he had. You know what it was? He said, I wished that I'd have made my kids come to youth ministry. Because cause now my kids are grown. They've got kids of their own, and they are not even close to searching for the Lord. You see, when we are half committed, we don't lay any kind of solid foundation for our kids based on truth, based on the word of God. So where are they going to go? Another song comes to mind from the 80s. Who will you run to when it all falls down? Who's going to pick your world up off the ground? Who's going to take away the tears you cry? Who's going to love you and who's going to hide? Where are your kids going to go? If you're not giving them a foundation, moms and dads, if you're not totally committed to what the Lord's wanting to do in you and through you, your kids will know that. And somebody said this, I believe it's true. What parents do in moderation, children will do in excess. If you're half committed, don't expect them to ever be committed. Got to lay that foundation. Don't cheat your family. And I want to close with a a story of two brothers way back in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. And this is how much being stuck in the middle really matters. I want you to think about Abel. Abel was a man of faith. How do we know that? Hebrews 11 tells us. He was a man that knew he needed redemption. He knew what God required. And what did he do? He brought the sacrifice that God required. But what did Cain do? Cain was kind of half committed, wasn't he? He didn't exactly ignore God. I mean, he came, but not with what God wanted. You remember the story about that? The countenance of Cain was very low. And I love what the little conversation God has with Cain in that chapter. God comes to Cain. Cain's mad about this entire thing because Cain's a self-made man, you know. Cain, why is your countenance so low? Let's put that in modern terms. What's wrong with you? Don't you know that if you do what's right, it's going to be all right? It'll go well with you? But here's what God says to Cain. If you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. Folks, that's how important it is to not be stuck in the middle. Because you know what happens? We become self-righteous. 
You know, anytime you're doing half of what you're supposed to do, and you know people, maybe you've got employees that are like this, people that you've worked with. What's the one thing they all have in common? They mock the people who are committed. Look what Cain did. His jealousy, his envy. But the thing is, God gave him an opportunity. Cain, this this could have turned out so much better. Cain could have said, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I will bring you what you require. But he didn't do that. He was half committed for so long that he was so weak. He was out of the fold and the prey, he became prey to the enemy and he kills his brother. What does God say to him? He comes to him and he says, Cain, what have you done? Your brother's blood is calling out to me. Where is your brother? Remember Cain's response in his self-righteous attitude? What did he say? Am I my brother's keeper? See, that self-righteous attitude always keeps us at bay at where we're supposed to be. Am I really my brother's keeper? According to the word of God, church, we are our brother's keeper. We are to come alongside one another. Maybe today, Kevin, you're saying, Kevin, I I can't really totally commit to what God's doing here because I've not totally committed to Christ. I've not totally given him my life. I'll tell you, I understand what it is to be a lost church member. Father gave his life to Jesus when I was a little guy. The Lord called him into ministry. I heard him preach every week. I was in Bible school every summer, sometimes two and three Bible schools. We would just go through the town going to Bible schools. I sang the hymns and the praise choruses. I know what it's like to be a lost church member. And if this total commitment thing makes no sense to you, you got to go back. Is there really a relationship there? Because you see, when these people came to Christ, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They jumped in and they shared life together. That concludes this week's message by Reverend Kevin Anderson. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.